Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Gen Ed. I'm your host, Louis Friedland Just. I'm joined by the amazing Alana Schwartz, and today we have a very special guest for you all. So he's a professor at the University of Georgia, professor of environmental education, a motivational speaker as well, and a TV host of the series Ranger Nick. Nick, why don't you introduce yourself a little more to us? I gave basically your uh, your job titles, but there's a lot more to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for that nice intro. And again, thanks so much for the warm welcome and the invitation to be part of this today. I'm Nick Furman. A lot of my students call me Ranger Nick, and that means a lot to me. And I'll tell you a little <laughs> bit more about how I got that title in a little bit. But yeah, I'm a, what's called a MIGS professor of environmental education at the University of Georgia. Been here about 13 years and uh, teach courses in environmental education and also in statistics, believe it or not. And I try to put both of those things together when I'm teaching. Mm. As I always share with folks, teaching is the best part of the job of being a professor. I enjoy the research side. I enjoy the grant writing side. But gosh, if they took students away, I would quit. I really would. I love, <laughs> love, love interacting with students. And so uh, I'm really happy to be here today. Well, we're very happy to have you. Um, we reached out to you. Well, Alana actually found you because she was doing research on various TED Talks about education <laughs> specifically. And she Aww. came across your talk. And she was very excited, actually, when you uh, responded saying you were uh, interested in, <laughs> in yes, coming on the show. Especially showing the animals part. I love yeah. animals. So super showing excited. the animals part. That was that's yeah. what she was sort of expecting. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's the main reason why I reached out to you, just to see some animals. That's right. Well, that's what most people, I, when I go somewhere and speak, I say, listen, I know you're not here to see me. You're here to see what I got inside of these boxes that I brought with me. So that usually, that, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so it's okay. I mean, it's a reason why I mean, that's I a just... super efficient teaching tool, right? I mean, mm -hmm. to, you know, bring the animals with you, you have to have some kind of extra motivation for some people. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I tell you, the, the animal side has been a passion of mine since I was a little kid, really a little mm -hmm. kid, as I shared in, in the TED Talk. But gosh, it's one of those things that my students never know what I'm going to have with me. Yeah. And that's kind of getting them on the edge of their seat to wonder, well, what's Ranger Nick going to do today? And it keeps them looking forward to that next class. Mm. And I even have seen from the animal side in terms of teaching, I teach a class called Teaching with Animals. And it's just like it sounds. It's how do you give public presentations using mm. animals? And for students that struggle with public speaking anxiety, those animals are a wonderful way to overcome that anxiety. It literally takes the attention off of the student and puts it on the animal and it just makes them a better speaker. So it's, there's so many benefits to using those animals. I never thought of, you know, bringing my dog to my presentation at school, but now <laughs> I'm going to have to go try it. Um, so you mentioned like you were always interested in animals growing mm -hmm. up and you really love them. And I know not everyone listening to this podcast has probably listened to your TED Talk, but could you describe more about where your passion for environmental science and animals um, came from, like how you came to be Ranger Nick? Absolutely. And I'll make a really long story shorter in the interest of all your <laughs> listeners out there. Like, oh my gosh, this, it's a long story because it's a life story. But I always like to preface it with there is power in an hour. All right. Mm -hmm. So it was less than an hour, actually. When I was a young child, I was about seven years old. 
a guest speaker came to my elementary school in Maryland where I grew up and they called this guy Ranger Bill. And Ranger Bill came into my classroom and he brought these animals. He had an owl and a hawk and a vulture and a snake and a turtle. And he brought all these animals and they were all ambassadors of the messages that he was sharing. They were teaching tools. And he talked about these animals and he talked about how he got them. And he talked about them in a way that inspired my friends in my class to want to go out and do something to help these animals. And that was just amazing. Plus, the guy was an edutainer. And I really like that phrase, edutainment, you know, because he was teaching, but he was also entertaining and he was using humor and he, he had us on the edge of our little carpet squares, you know, that we had in elementary school. We're all sitting there. So this guy was just phenomenal as a teacher. And he left after less than an hour. And I remember going home and telling my parents about this guy. Well, we ended up following Ranger Bill as he would go and give presentations in different areas around where I lived. And I finally just kind of got the courage to go up to him and say, hey, Ranger Bill, can I shadow you? Can I help you with things that you're doing in your job? And so literally for the next several years, I helped him clean a lot of cages, all right? He had a lot of, he had a lot of animals and they're kind of dirty, you know, birds of prey, owls and hawks. Oh man, they're pretty dirty. So I cleaned up a lot of bird poop, you know, but to be around this guy and to shadow this guy and to watch what he was doing. And slowly he would let me start handling some animals and being in front of an audience with him, teaching with these animals. And so that's all I've ever known. He offered me a job when I was 16 and I did that for seven years. So I went out and I taught with these animals as Ranger Nick, as someone called me one day and I was just like, man, this is so cool. I'm Ranger Nick, as I looked up to Ranger Bill for all those years. It just goes to show you, I really got on this path because of one person and their visit to my classroom. And I tell my students that, who will go out and become their own Ranger Bill one day. I, I teach students that go and work in zoos and aquariums as a job. And I tell them, I say, think about this. When you're talking to that group of strangers in front of you at that zoo or aquarium or school or wherever, realize that somebody out there, some kid out there could look at what you're doing and you could change the path they go down their entire life. I don't know what I would be doing today had it not been for that guy visiting that class. So it's the power of the hour, you know, is what I always mm. like to say. That is that is definitely an inspirational story and that kind of actually covers uh the first question that i want to ask you but cool. as a follow-up question um what do you believe was your most inspiring presentation so what was a moment where you really felt like you were that ranger bill well i tell you i remember when i was probably 20 21 years old i was still working for the department of natural resources in maryland and I remember on this one particular day, I had just finished the sixth or seventh presentation in a row at one location. And oftentimes I would go out and give a 45 minute talk back to back to back to back over and over again for different groups that would come and visit the auditorium where I was. So I remember on this particular day, there had been six or seven talks in a row. And by the last one, you can't remember if you just told this group that or the last one. Oh, my gosh. But every time I do it, I, I literally I don't get tired of it. I just get excited and you, you go through it and you do it. 
Well, I had gotten done the six or seven talk and I was, oh man, just kind of, just kind of tired. And I remember a gentleman and his mom coming up to me afterwards and, uh, and he wanted to ask me some questions about some of the birds that I had brought. And, uh, and I could tell looking at this gentleman that he had special needs and I work a lot with kids that have special needs and have my whole life. So I recognized this in this young man and his mom was there and they were asking me some questions and, and he was asking about this one owl that I brought with me. And I said, well, hang on a second. Let me take him back out and I'll show him to you. So I took this owl out. Nobody's around except for me and this boy and his mom. And I showed him this owl right up close and he's getting to see it and I'm talking to him and, you know, just having a conversation. Well, he leaves. Great conversation. He leaves. And a week or so later, I get a letter in the mail. Well, it was a card and it was from his mom. Now, I don't know how she got the address to where my office was to find <laughs> out you know, about me, which was really cool. But I remember getting this letter from her and she basically said how special that was, that I took the time to talk to her son and how much that meant to him, that he looked at me as kind of almost like a celebrity or something that I showed him this owl and I just took the time to talk to him. I think I took a picture with him or something. And it was just, you know, I, I thought to myself, wow, here this lady and her son were moved by something that I felt like was just, that's what I do. I talk to folks and if you mm -hmm. want to know more, I'll show you the bird and I'll answer your questions. And that's what I love. That's what I love. And it, it reminded me that there was a small moment that really meant a lot to that person. And they took the time to write me that note. And I thought, I really felt like Ranger Bill, I hope felt when he learned of my story. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that happens. And you may not ever get the letter in the mail from somebody saying that you made yeah. a difference. But it, folks that are educators remember that you're making a difference. And that was just so special. And that has happened uh, through time. Students of mine have sent me letters over the years, sometimes years after I've seen them. And that's just such a humbling thing. You know, I don't I don't like talking about it because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging and I never like that. But I, I'm so humbled by that, that someone would take the time to write a note. And uh, and it reminds me we do make a difference out there. You know, so it was really special. I feel like in general, whenever you're dealing with uh, people that are younger than you or just anyone whom you're educating, there is a sense that. You know, sometimes you feel like you don't get a uh, certain, you know, recognition for the effort that you put in to really help them. And um, yeah, I remember when I worked as a camp counselor, um, we didn't I worked for a camp that was very low income. So we didn't have uh, much equipment on hand and the kids one day wanted to play volleyball. And so we didn't have a volleyball net. We didn't have a volleyball. So I took a soccer ball, wrapped it in like this foam thing to make it so that it didn't hurt their hands. And then I took <laughs> jump ropes and I weaved them together into a net and put them <laughs> between the fence and a street lamp in the park that we were at. Uh, and okay. we played volleyball like that. And then the kids got tired of it 15 minutes later. Um, <laughs> I spent about two hours getting it ready. They caught tired of it within 15 minutes. Um, but, you know, and most of them moved on from that. And it's, it's sometimes really hard when, you know, they don't give you um, recognition for just, just, you know, like something for uh, the amount of effort you put in for them. But the ones who do just, you know, that little thank you from the kids, um, 
it, it's it's like there's nothing else that compares to it. Absolutely. That's that is so true. And that, I think, is what motivates us on those days when maybe it hasn't been a perfect teaching day, you know, yeah. when there have been struggles mm-hmm. and things and you go back and you realize, you know, there's folks out there. You made a difference. You really mm-hmm. did. And they may be telling that story about you somewhere someday to their <laughs> friends or family that you made you made that difference. That's great. You know, for me, I've had lots of summer camp stories. Yeah. And the one that stuck out to me the most was I was uh, talking to a parent at the front desk. It's like early, like seven in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and there's about like 15 kids like in the room, like playing around, playing video games. And, and this like, it's a karate place. And it's like a summer day summer camp. And the ceilings are really, really tall. And so there's a fan and a kid comes to me crying, because his stuffed animal got stuck in the ceiling fan, and was spinning around. And, (laughs) and so I had to go and get a ladder mind you i'm by myself and so i'm like getting a ladder having like nine-year-olds hold this ladder while i climb up to get the stuffed animal down and that kid was like had the like the biggest smile on his face because he got his stuffed animal back and i'll never forget that but it was also pretty funny because i don't know how that stuffed animal stayed on a spinning fan but i mean uh even though I was kind of in a teacher mentor role, I felt like that kid taught me something. Um, uh, Ranger Nick, have you had an experience where you felt like, you know, I didn't have a great teaching day today, but my kids, like, they taught me more than um, I would have had. Yeah, and you know, that's happened. And, and, and I call them my kids too, but the college students that take my classes here at the University of Georgia. Absolutely. You know, I teach classes about teaching. So sometimes after a a class or midway through a class, I might hit the pause button and say to the class, okay. So in my mind, where we are right now with what we just did, I feel like we need to to kind of stop and shift gears because I feel like it's too deep today to continue down this path. We need to change our minds because I can look at your faces and I can see that we're whew, we're kind of tired of this stuff. <laughs> that happens. That happens sometimes when you're teaching statistics, like I shared. Oh boy, you have to hit the pause button. And I say that to them. I say, okay, so this right now, this is some pretty deep stuff. Let's stop what we're doing there, and let's do a little something different, a little something lighter, and come back to this in our next class period because. I remind my students, if we're not ready to learn, there's no sense in trying to jam more in just to cover it. I tell my students a lot, you know, cats cover material. You know what I mean by that? Cats cover. We don't cover stuff. We're going to teach it. So we're not just going to run through it to run through it. If we're not ready, we're going to hit the pause button. And that's so important. And, And I have the liberty as a college teacher to do that because I can pick it up the next class period. Sometimes our K through 12 educators, unfortunately, you know, they've got to do certain things certain days because of what's coming up in another course or a prerequisite or something. So I'm fortunate for that. But yeah, you, you, some days you're not going to have a great day. But my students are showing me what they're getting or not getting out of something. And I can redirect that way. And they really seem to appreciate that. And I've learned so much from 
watching them and listening to them and responding to them. I think that's so important, you know. Plus, I think that sometimes the questions that they'll ask, no matter how many times I've taught in the same course, you just get some really great questions. And there's no dumb questions. And I know that's a, a cliche kind of thing, but it's true. I want an environment where folks can ask anything and not feel intimidated and just feel like it's a super safe place. And it is. And uh, sometimes you get those questions, you go, wow, I never thought about that. And so it's uh, what a wonderful thing to have that mindset as a teacher. You're learning from those students for sure. That's amazing. You're like teaching the future researchers of the world. And I truly appreciate when a teacher um, would take us outside of the classroom, you know, just Mm. to go outdoors. I think Lewis was talking about that in a previous episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But just changing the environment up or playing a game. um, You know, I wish I had a teacher who just had animals in their classroom willing just to pop them out, Um, (laughs) you know, but I'm an animal person. So what can I say? So in your classroom, um, doc, uh, I'm calling you Dr. Nick, Uh, (laughs) you know, doctor works too, Uh, (laughs) Ranger Nick. um, How do you incorporate uh, animals into your classroom, even if you're not teaching such a class like environmental science? Yeah. So I'll give you one example. So I I teach a course, a series of courses that relate to developing educational programs, developing a series of activities at camps or at nature centers or in college and university settings, activities that are building on one another to reach some end goal. Program development, I teach courses like that. And they don't have to involve animals at all. But a lot of times I'll use an animal as a way to kind of convey an analogy between one thing and another. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll use, I brought an animal with me today and I'll, I'll show you. Let me let me bring this guy out. His name's Scooter. I'm going to show you Scooter here today. And uh, he's been sitting down here. My son had to help me get him. So I'm going to hold him up to the camera. He was at our house this morning chilling in his little pond. Look at my buddy. This is Scooter, and Scooter, if you're in the eastern part of the United States, you would see these guys. He's an eastern box turtle, and Scooter has these beautiful red eyes, and that tells us that he's a male. So males have red eyes, beautiful red eyes, very brightly colored scales. Mm. The boys do. The girls have brown eyes, very dull coloring. Uh, The males tend to be a little bit more feisty, I'll just tell you. And Scooter is uh, Scooter's kind of a bully. I'll just let you know. I've had Scooter for about 14 years and I have other turtles and Scooter cannot be with any other turtles. He has to be by himself. He doesn't like to have other turtles around. So he has his own enclosure at our house. No other turtles are with him. It's his thing. But Scooter is a wonderful analogy with developing programs, putting these things together because Scooter is actually named because of the scoots on the back of his shell. These little blocks, they're called scoots. Mm. And he has 13 of them on his back. Well, individually, these individual scoots don't do a whole lot. But together, collectively, they form his shell. Just like collectively, a series of activities that are building on one another form a program. Same kind of a thing. So I'll bring an animal out. That's one example of an analogy that we can use 
between an animal and a concept I'm teaching. I do the same with statistics and, you know, those kinds of things. And plus, I just, I like it. I like using animals. <laughs> Here's the thing about animals, that, and I'll go back to the teaching thing for a second. When I teach students about teaching, when I help students overcome public speaking anxiety, there's something that happens, and often, and I, I don't think it'll happen today, but we'll see. <laughs> I actually have some paper towels down on my desk right now, just in case. Well, here's what happens. A student will be holding Scooter or another one of my turtles, and they'll be giving a presentation in class holding the turtle. And I can see from watching the student, okay, they're a little bit nervous, and that's understandable. You're in front of your peers, and you're teaching a subject, and public speaking is just a nervous kind of thing. We care about what we're saying. We want to do a good job, so we get nervous. Okay. Well, all of a sudden, Scooter or another turtle that my students might be holding pees, okay? <laughs> Animals do it, right? The, the turtle pees, all right? Well, from that moment forward, it's the craziest thing. From that moment forward, the student does a better job. It's like, okay, this just happened. The student laughs, the class laughs. Okay, they're still alive. Everybody's okay. And it's like they become more conversational. They become a better presenter, a better teacher, because something unplanned happened. And that, I think, is one of the wonderful components of using animals in education, is they give us these teachable moments, these unplanned things that happen that we have to just roll with. We can't say cut, do it again. Now keep going. It is a wonderful thing. And animals, I've, I've had a student hold a snake around their neck and they'll be talking. Well, the snake will go into their shirt. Okay, what are we gonna do? You know, <laughs> so we gotta get the snake out. You know, it's those kind of things that make that student a more personable individual, a more genuine speaker, and just shows them that, you know what? In life, things are gonna happen and we just got to go with it. So it's uh, that is another wonderful thing of using animals. It sure is. Plus, I just love it. I love the reactions that people give when you show something like this. He's a good boy. Look at my boy there. He's Scooter. like swimming in the air. He does. You know, if you throw him sideways, it kind of looks like he's waving. Sometimes he'll do that with his little... <laughs> Bye. <laughs> he likes the camera, so. Yeah. Right, buddy. I'll put you back now that everybody's seeing you. Isn't he, he just beautiful? He must be used to being on your um, show. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scooter. Scooter's been on a couple times. You know, if we uh, if we go out in the woods and we have to find something on camera, <laughs> we find him. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's cool Oops, stuff. Great question on what you mentioned previously about the unexpected during presentations. I think laughter also has a really big, is a really big factor in that. Um, we had another teacher who was on actually for a previous episode who was saying that every teacher has to find their own method of humor, uh, yeah. not to make it forced, but to really find something that makes them comfortable and makes the class comfortable. And yeah. from personal experience, I think, as well, whenever you're making it, you know, whenever you have a presentation and something happens that makes everyone laugh and you as well, you're all closer together because you laugh because laughter is so important to yeah. humans and to socialization between us. 
Absolutely. And it, you know, it makes a teacher more approachable mm. if they weren't already. You know, it builds that rapport. It makes them more human. I mean, it absolutely is. And, and that uh, it's so contagious. What a great, great point. And that's why I encourage a lot of teachers to find their own teaching personality and just be themselves. You know, that's what's so cool about this as a job. I mean, you get to be yourself and, and talk about things that you love to talk about and, and get paid for it. I mean, that's really cool. So mm. that enthusiasm is so important. Even through the screen, um, laughter is contagious. Yeah. If your camera is on. That's um, right. <laughs> but uh, what difficulties have you had with um, being online during uh, COVID with teaching and wow, learning? Yeah. What a great question. And it's something that um, that we may swing back to later this semester as things go on. I, I will tell you, that was definitely something that made us think outside of the box as teachers. But it was something that, to me, I saw the rapport between my students and I get even stronger because they got to see when I was at home, teaching at home and in my guest room upstairs in our house, I'd be in this room and I'd be teaching. Well, they can see from the camera, they see the background in our house. Well, then all of a sudden, Miles, our son comes in. Well, he likes to say hi to everybody. So Miles will come in, say hi to everybody, and I'll introduce them to our son, you know, and they get to see a glimpse of my life and my family and, and what's going on with me. And I really think that that was unusual because their other professors were not be honest with you, maybe they weren't teaching online at all. They were giving them YouTube videos to watch or those kind of things. I think the fact that I was continuing on teaching online, doing the best we could from home, I think that that really mattered to them. They saw, all right, so Ranger Neck, Dr. Thurman really cares. He's going to do anything he can to help us get this content. And I think that mattered. The other thing that I'll say too, is that during those times, I probably didn't teach a third of the content in my courses because I, I found that it was it took longer to do things online. You know, we need to do things a little bit slower. Mm. We need to use the breakout rooms in Zoom. I don't know if you're familiar with them, yes. but those, they're little, those little rooms you put students in, that kind of teamwork is so important. You know, them getting together with each other. We would talk about just kind of water cooler opportunities, I'd call them. Gather around the water cooler, like you might see at an office or something, and just kind of catch up with one another. Not class related, just what's going on in your world. We would take time for that kind of stuff in class. And that's important because so many of those students didn't have any interaction with others. So I dropped about a third of my content, all things considered, and made time for stuff like that. And I really, really think it mattered. I really do. I'll give you a short story. One of the classes I was teaching halfway through the semester when the university closed there in March of last year was an outdoor lab. And every week my class would go out in the woods with me and we would do stuff. We would sample the stream or we would look for salamanders under logs. We would do things. So all of a sudden everybody's at home and they can't come out in the woods with me anymore. So I got a couple of GoPro cameras. Y'all are familiar with these GoPros. You know, you can put them on your head. You can put them on your chest. They're on a pole. They're waterproof. 
I took these GoPro cameras out in the woods with me, into the stream with me, put them underwater to see stuff. And I was the student out in the lab for them. And then I would <laughs> upload these videos and they were kind of goofy. You know, I do goofy stuff on the camera just to, you know, mess with them. They loved it. They said, man, I wish I was out there with you in person, but if I can't be, I can sit here at home and watch these videos of you. And, and that really mattered. And we'd still teach. They'd do a little worksheet along with me. And we, you know, it, so I, I think it worked out great. I really do. I, unfortunately, the students have told me that they've had other experiences in their other classes that weren't that great. And that's really unfortunate. That's really sad. Uh, we can do this. I think if we relax and we just kind of go, okay, teachable moment. I can't do anything about this. I get a couple cameras and I, I do the best I can. And it worked out great, you know, so that's that was how we've addressed this teaching online thing with flexibility and with, OK, I'm not going to get flustered. Let's do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking actually about cameras and about YouTube and all of that, yeah. um, I'd like to talk a little bit about your job as a TV host, as Ranger Nick and yeah. how that compares to teaching in person or giving talks in person to people yeah. how is that you know that recorded medium different from for you specifically um yeah compared to actual you know keynote speaking in person with people right well it's it's super different because there is no reaction to anything i'm doing right away anyway <laughs> it's me and typically it's one cameraman out there with me it's and, and students have come along with me just to see this and i think they're i think they're kind of underwhelmed to be honest with you when they come out because there's not a lot of bright lights i mean sometimes there are they set up stuff to light up a place where i might be there's not a bunch of cue cards it's not scripted it's not it's just like today me and a camera talking and having a conversation. And when I do the TV thing, I think about things usually in about a minute and a half sound bites. You know, we'll do a minute and a half on this and then stop. And a minute and a half on this, then stop. And then they blend it all together. Just because you have to keep moving on TV or on a video. But, um, but now it's very different not getting the reaction, not hearing the laughter, not seeing the faces. So I have to look at that lens and I have to envision the folks that are sitting out there watching this thing. And I'll just mm. tell you, most of the folks that watch the farm monitor, the Georgia farm monitor where Ranger Nick airs are older. I mean, they're probably in their mid sixties, you know, so this is not <laughs> a prime time NBC thing. You know, this is, I mean, it airs on television, but it's, I mean, I'm thankful to be doing it. I'd love it to get bigger. I'll be honest, but most of my audience is older and they'll see me in places. They'll hear my voice and they'll say, Hey, aren't you Ranger Nick? It's usually an older person. So I'll look at that lens of that camera and I'll be envisioning this older lady sitting there <laughs> laughing and going, showing her grandkids. Look at this guy, Ranger Nick's out doing this now. I'm being myself and I'm just envisioning how they're going to react. And I'll also say that the producer of that show, the camera folks, Gosh, we are great friends. And that makes it so much fun when we go out and do these things because, you know, they're laughing along with me doing stuff. And I'm thinking, all right, if they're laughing, I wonder what the folks at home are doing. Um, it's very different. 
But I tell you what, I am forever grateful that we've been able to do that for almost eight years now. That is a really, really, probably one of the highlights of my career is getting to do that every month. We tape every month and go out and uh, it's, it's really cool. How did you come about um, creating this TV show? Yeah, so here's here's what happened. So about eight years ago, I had the department head in, in my department at the time was new, had just been hired. And she had gone down to Macon, Georgia, where the Georgia Farm Bureau home office is. She went down there to meet with some of their folks because they're a stakeholder of our College of Ag and that kind of stuff. So when she was down there, she met with some of the producers of the show because the Farm Bureau in Georgia produces the Farm Monitor, the TV show. So she had met with them and they said, you know, we've tried reaching out to the University of Georgia and tried to get professors to come on and do TV stuff with us, but nobody wants to do it and, and all that. And my department had knew that I loved teaching. I loved doing stuff on camera. And so she came back and told me about that. She said, Nick, they're looking for people to be on this TV segment that they do. So anyway, I set up a meeting with the producer down there in Macon, and I went down there and I, I talked to him and I said, listen, I have students that I bet would love to be on this segment. I wasn't thinking about me. I was thinking about the students. Hey, I bet some of our undergrads would love this. It'd be kind of fun, you know? <laughs> well, one of the producers of the show walks into the room as I was meeting with the executive producer. And his name was Ray D'Alessio. And Ray had been a sports broadcaster for CNN for years. National TV had done this and just gotten out of big TV. And Ray says to me, Nick, what are you doing next week in one of your classes? I'd like to come up and just see what you're doing. I said, come on up. I'm sure I'll have some animal or something with me. And we'll, you know, come on up. So he comes up and he films me teaching. And he interviews me after I was done teaching on camera. And he just, he, when we got done, he said to me, he said, Nick, he goes, have you ever thought about doing, you know, a TV thing? And I said, no, nah, not really. I mean, I, I guess I've done a little bit of it, but never as a series, you know. He said, well, man, we ought to do something. I said, okay. I said, can we call it Ranger Nick? I said, because all my students call <laughs> me Ranger Nick. He said, yeah. So we taped the first segment in 2013, I guess is when it was. Yeah, 2013 in the fall. And, uh, and it aired on television. It was very different from what the Farm Monitor typically did. It was very different. I think much more high energy, just different. And Ray said people just loved it. And so from that point forward, we've taped every month. And uh, it's really become a, a, a highlight for me. And according to Ray, it's something that a lot of people enjoy watching on television. And I'm just very, very humbled by that. So that's how it started. Literally with me setting up a meeting, thinking about my students. But then it ended up being, well, Nick, why don't you do it? So it's pretty cool. And I love it. I love it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we're going to have to go watch Ranger Nick. It it reminds me of um, the Crocodile Hunter with uh, oh, Steve yeah. Irwin, like oh, growing man. up. Would always watch <laughs> that show. Absolutely I, loved I, it. That is such a, a uh, compliment. If you even put me in the same arena as that guy, my God, I, <laughs> What a what a person that you can just imagine how he was off camera. He mm -hmm. I, I think he was that way all the time. Mm. And I hope that that I come across that same way on television. And people will ask Ray a lot. Is Nick really like that all the time? I said, and Ray says, yeah, he is. It's not some fake thing. 
I just love teaching and I love mm-hmm. talking about the environment and agriculture and natural resources. And I, that's just who I am. So I bet Steve Irwin was the same way. You know, he just <laughs> seemed like a genuine guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very inspiring to have you on and well, just thank you so much for coming on and talking to us and oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Sh- all. Showing us scooter too. You know, yes, definitely. As well. <laughs> you all are doing a wonderful job with this too, by the way. Um, very, very impressive, very organized. And uh, I want all your listeners to know this is a first class operation y'all have got going on. So I'm very impressed. <laughs> Why, thank very, you. very humble. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so be sure to check, check out uh, Ranger Nick and all of his uh, wonderful TED Talks that I came across. And oh, be sure, to, of course, to check out Wave Learning Festival, wavelf.org, where this fall we are going back into the free tutoring and oh. promoting the podcast a little bit more. We are doing um, a program on Twitter, just Twitter spaces. We talk for like 20 minutes about random topics. Maybe we'll talk about college next time, or maybe we'll talk more about ghost stories like last time. <laughs> so, yes, you guys will have to tune in to see. <laughs> Yes. Thank you again, Ranger Nick. You're so welcome, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. To everyone else, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.